My name's Patricia King, and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Uh, Chris Roseberry here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that... Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you into the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... Another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, August 1st, 2011. Spent my weekend researching Eric Dykstra, Kelly Dykstra, and the Crossing Church in Elk River, Minnesota. In fact, uh, this is going to be a follow-up to my interview with uh, Jeremy Rogan. You need to hear what I found. If you have friends that go to this church, they need to be warned. This guy is bad news. In fact, he's cult leader probably says it right. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. Uh, we do the uh, the politically incorrect work to see if what your pastor is doing actually uh, meets with the biblical qualifications for a pastor. Is he rightly handling the word of truth? Is he proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins? Is he preaching the gospel to you as a Christian? Or is he, uh, well, a... Um, a showman? Is he uh, somebody who's a phony? Somebody who's trying to make merchandise of you? Um, well, a lot of the seeker-driven, purpose-driven pastors, well, we've been chronicling the ex- excesses and abuses that have been going on in that movement for, well, since we've been on the air. And uh, what, what's interesting about Eric Dykstra is it's, it's very clear that he is a disciple of Perry Noble. He's a disciple of Stephen Furtick. He is a disciple of Ed Young Jr. and is a disciple of Bill Cornelius. And uh, what we're seeing with this guy, uh, again, the, I think the difference is is that he doesn't really hide his narcissistic, uh, self-focused, I'm a, a prophet of God stuff very well. In fact, I don't even think he tries. And the abuses that we're hearing coming out of that church, and by the way, um, the emails I've been re- receiving are uh, <laughs> only further substantiate the uh, the claims uh, made by Jeremy Rogan. And uh, in fact, uh, the emails that I've been getting 
uh, are from other people who've had similar and in some cases worse experiences. In fact, one of them is from a mother who uh, who's lost her son to uh, Eric Dykstra. And uh, it's, this is just crazy, crazy stuff. But what we're going to do is we're going to spend the entire program uh, really kind of focusing back on um, what the claims being made by uh, by Eric Dykstra and his wife, Kelly, uh, the things that they're doing to, quote, promote the church in the name of evangelism and building up the body of Christ or growing the body of Christ, the term that they use is depopulating hell. And uh, we're going to take a look at uh, we're going to we're going to look at a couple of uh, news stories regarding the crossing church. Uh, Kelly Dykstra is uh, is actually she's a pretty skilled marketer. She does the marketing for the church. And if she were working out in the uh, in the Fortune 500 world, she'd probably make be making a killing. Uh, she's actually pretty gifted in the marketing department, and I know a lot about marketing. I've spent time in, in corporations doing marketing, and she's very successful at what she does. But uh, there are certain things that uh, the folks there at Crossing Church just cross the line. And I'm sorry, but the ends do not justify the means. And the reality is, is that we've been, you know, we've reviewed several of Eric Dykstra's sermons before this part of the Eric Dykstra story came forward, and it's clear from. Uh, the analysis that I've provided in reviewing his sermons, this guy mangles God's word. He does not properly handle it at all. And uh, Christ and him crucified for our sins really doesn't seem to make a regular appearance, even though he claims that what he's doing is to make Jesus uh, famous. Uh, he's doing anything but. He's making himself famous, but he's not making Christ famous. And if he really wanted people to be introduced to Jesus Christ, then really where he needs to be spending his time is proclaiming the, the well the gospel text, reading the gospel text, preaching the gospel text in context, actually engaging in biblical teaching. He doesn't. And uh, as a result of it, he crosses the line into sin by twisting God's word. This is what we call the breaking of the commandment that says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So many people think that taking the the Lord's name in vain stops at just OMG. You know, somebody texts on their phone, OMG, or, you know, it's the Valley Girl thing. Well, yeah, technically that's that's taking God's name in vain, but that's really not the gist of what that commandment gets at. What that commandment gets at is somebody who lies and deceives using the name of God, who wrongly handles God's word and puts words into God's mouth or thoughts into God's mouth that were never there. So we've got to do the politically incorrect work and continue our expose work on Eric, on Eric Dykstra, for the folks in, uh, you know, for the safety, the spiritual well-being of the folks in Elk River, Minnesota. This guy is a full-blown wolf, and he's on the prowl, and he's got a lot of folks that he's hurting, and uh, and I actually think he, rather than depopulating hell, he's probably um, increasing the population there based upon what he's doing. I know that's quite a claim to make, but you'll see what I mean um, as we get into the program today. Now, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you to our Eric Dykstra update music. When we do Eric Dykstra updates, this is the song that we're going to play. It's a lot. 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 Like, like. Now this one takes me back. Pastor and servant. Pastor and servant. Listen, you game, you see. The game with reality. You treat me like a talk, you tell my 
Pastor and servant. We got it. Pastor and servant. Pastor and servant. All right, yeah, sorry. I had to change the lyrics a little bit there to kind of make the point. Uh, When we talk about top-down, abusive, cult-like spiritual leadership and abuse, I think that uh, that song, well, comes the closest thing to it, at least in um, in arriving at the concept. Now, what I'm going to do right now, we're going to play two two uh, videos from the uh, uh, Channel Nine Fox News affiliate out there in uh, in uh, Minnesota, uh, in and around Elk River, and um, well, this kind of speaks for itself. Now, as you're hearing these two news stories, don't get hung up on the obvious. Okay, in fact. Let me pause for a second before I even get to these videos, and I, I want to solicit your ears. I want to solicit your discernment. Um, I really, truly would like your feedback and uh, on this particular episode because here's the deal. I'm one man, and I'm going to provide biblical analysis and counterpoints to many of the things that you're going to hear today. Um, but the thing is, is that you, you're, you provide a different set of ears, and uh, I'd truly like to hear your analysis on what you're going to hear on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, and you know, and provide your own biblical commentary. Email me your commentary at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com and simply uh, uh, name the, uh, the subject header Crossing Church Feedback. Crossing Church Feedback so that uh, I can collect them. And I'd really like to, you know, things that I missed, um, I'd love to see, uh, hear your insights as to what you're about to hear. So, uh, these are two examples of Kelly Dykstra's marketing prowess and how she uh, markets the Crossing Church. Uh, listen in. Here we go. Box at 5:30. Now, Easter is one of those days where church pews are usually a little fuller than usual, and getting people to fill them at other times of the year is a little bit more of a challenge. But one metro church is trying a unique approach to change that. Fox 9's Jeff Goldberg is joining us with that story. Well, Robin, church attendance in America is down compared with a few decades ago, but many Americans do still go to church on a regular basis. An incentive to draw visitors at one metro church is getting people talking, and that's just what this congregation wants. Now, just so you know, what, they're gonna, what they did at Easter to get people to come to church, they were giving away cars. That's the Crossing Church it band. It sounds a lot like Saturday night. A lot of energy here. It's exciting. It's really cool. But this is Easter Sunday at the Crossing in Elk River. We are church for people who don't do church. Kelly Dykstra started the church five years ago with her husband, Derek. God gave you a desire to be happy, and he wants you to be happy. Using marketing and some serious enthusiasm. Come on, right here, hung for Jesus, hung for Jesus, come on. They've grown from 45 to 1,500 people. The latest campaign, the Joyride. Now, that's the name of the sermon series they uh, did during Easter. Uh, I think it was last year. The Joyride. Now, listen carefully to Kelly Dykstra's marketing um, tagline for this particular sermon series. Holy shift, you know. Giving away three cars. That's right. You heard that right. She said, holy shift. Cars to three lucky raffle winners. I will happily draw somebody into church using a false god because i believe when they come here they're going to meet the real one yeah that's right she said she will happily use a false god in order to draw people to church because she believes that uh, <clears throat> that when they arrive at their church they're going to re- meet the real one 
Yeah, let's think about this for a second. Um, in the book of Acts, okay, uh, we have examples of how evangelism went about as a result of the apostolic teaching. The apostles had a particular way that they planted churches and shared the gospel or proclaimed the gospel, and it didn't involve them saying, you know, we got to get more people into church. I know. Let's, um, you know, for the, for you know, all the Apollo worshipers out there in Corinth, you know, they, they've got a temple to Apollo there in uh, in Corinth. Maybe what we could do is we can have, um, well, a sacrifice to Apollo uh, on Saturday night and and open up our own, uh, you know, church meat market where we have food and um, and animals that have been sacrificed to Apollo. And then when they people show up to buy the meat from us that's been sacrificed to Apollo, um, we can then, you know, teach them about Jesus. Or uh, another example, um, on the Acro Corinth, um, there, you know, there's a, a, a temple to, uh, I think it's Venus. I, I may be wrong. It could be Virgo. Who knows? Um, but uh, the, the, the part of uh, in antiquity, I think this ended prior to uh, uh, Paul's arrival there. Uh, it had, I think the Romans kind of put an end to it. But uh, there was temple prostitution going up there on the Acro Corinth, and you know, and listen, temple prostitution. Well, that has a way of drawing men to church, um, you know, because they go to church to have a religious experience with a temple prostitute. So um, I don't see any examples of the Apostle Paul using temple prostitutes. Uh, to you know, to you know, using a false god and their false worship in order to draw a crowd so that he can teach them about the real Jesus. And, and so here, um, uh, you know, Kelly Dykstra says she has no problem using a false god. What would the false god be? American materialism and consumerism. We're going to use American materialism and consumerism as a big draw so that people, when they show up to church, they're going to hear about the real God, and you know, even though they're there for their false God, they're, they're going to um, hear about the real God. Apparently the end's justifying the means, but I, you know, based on the sermons that I've listened to from Eric Dykstra, this guy mangles God's word. And here's the other thing. Uh, you know, she's going to make the claim that they're going to do anything short of sin to get people into church, but I'm going to make the claim that uh, Eric and Kelly Dykstra sin boldly in church um, in, in, in a particular regard, actually a few of them. But in one very glaring thing, Kelly Dykstra does teaching at the church. The scripture makes it perfectly clear a woman is not to teach in church, not to be an authority over a man. So they are clearly sinning in that regard. Um, so, I mean, we've got that, and we've got the mangling of God's word. And if you need to, uh, if you want to have you know examples of that, go to fightingforthefaith.com. Type in Eric Dykstra in our search box and look at the and listen to the sermons I've reviewed of Eric Eric Dykstra's, including the donkey sermon. This guy mangles God's word, which is a sin. It's an absolute sin. But listen in. For the crossing, like churches everywhere, Easter, like Christmas, is an opportunity to encourage casual visitors to come back more than twice a year. According to a Gallup survey from 2009, 42% of Americans say they attend church weekly or almost weekly. Some religious observers think it's probably closer to 30%. I spend a lot of time working Sundays, so you don't get the time to go to church. Tom Stoops of Monticello is a full-time student, a former military member, a father, and a husband. But you don't have to go to church to be religious. So for missing Sunday, it's not, not a big deal to me. Hung for Jesus, yeah! At the crossing, the inspiration and incentives are not traditional. And we will do anything short of sin to bring somebody into church. But if you ask Kelly Dykstra, that's exactly the point. It makes people... 
So she says they'll do anything short of sin, which, by the way, is Perry Noble's line. I'm sure they lifted it from him um, to, uh, you know, to get people to church. But I think they're sinning by mangling God's word, by twisting it in order to give relevant life tip messages rather than preaching the word in context and proclaiming it correctly. They're sinning by using materialism as the bait for Jesus. They're sinning. This isn't act. This is actually a sin. What they're doing. People laugh. It, it ticks some people off, but it definitely keeps people talking about the crossing. Yeah, that's right. It keeps people talking about the crossing church. It doesn't have people talking about Jesus, though, Kelly. It has people talking about the crossing. According to that same Gallup poll referenced in that story, there church attendance is highest in the South: Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, and Louisiana, topping the list. Attendance in church is lowest in New England, Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont at the bottom of that list. Minnesota, right in the middle. Robin? Okay, so that's story number one. Here's story number two. Likely setting for a worship service, but the crossing church is kind of known for breaking some boundaries. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. okay, so we got this is about one of their satellite uh, churches in a bar. The congregation is making a new home inside of a bar. Fox 9's Jody Ambrose has more on why the church is shaking things up in Big Lake. It looks like the kind of place you might grab a beer. Hey, Gary. How are we doing? Good to see you again. And maybe shoot some pool. Yeah, that's because it's a bar. A place where couples like Eric and Kelly Dykstra want to hang out. Yeah! Our goal is to really kind of create um, an atmosphere here. The Dykstras also believe this bar will serve a higher purpose. So we thought, what would be a unique place that we could start church that would really work for people who aren't sure about faith? Where does everybody hang out? That's pretty neutral. Hang out at a bar. The Crossing Church in Elk River is expanding to Big Lake. Tables will all get moved out. Leaders are making a new home at the Friendly Buffalo and calling it Church in the Buff. This is Church in the Buff, and that's how we roll. You can probably guess Pastor Eric's sermons are anything but stuffy. Anybody else ever seen a glowing band in church before? <laughs> that was. <clears throat> yeah, no, notice the, uh, the they're marketing this as church. In the buff, double entendre. I mean, when you hear the phrase church in the buff, what comes up in your mind? Are you thinking about the Buffalo Bar? Or are you thinking about nudity and nakedness? Church in the buff. They're purposely marketing the church using a double entendre that conjures up nudity. Interesting. Off the train, man. Wasn't that good? His unconventional approach could play well at a bar. The sermons will be piped in from the main church in Elk River and shown on the big screens. We just thought it was a great idea and a great concept and something new and something fresh. Now, this is the bar manager. Of course they think it's a great idea. I mean, Sunday mornings, they're not making any money on Sunday mornings. And now all of a sudden, they're well, they're making money. Attract people that, again, otherwise may skip their Sunday church services. The bar will be closed during church, but the staff will be serving up drinks afterwards. In fact, the pastor wants people to stick around and socialize with or without a drink in their hands. We want you to stay, enjoy it. The bar is also planning to bring people together by offering Sunday brunch. I have absolutely no doubt that they are going to have this building Absolutely full on Sunday. A crowded bar. Of course it's going to be full. You guys are going to make money hand over fist, and it's on Sunday, which means 
They could stick around for football during football season. I mean, you guys are going to make a killing. Far on a Sunday morning is one pastor's dream come true. I'm just hoping and praying that God brings a lot of people this weekend and we get to help them. In Big Lake, Jody Ambrose, Fox 9 News. So, okay, that's two examples, two examples of, you know, kind of how they do marketing. Now, what we're going to do here, we're going to pause. We're going to do uh, we're going to do a little biblical work and then we will go back and we're going to listen to uh, Eric Kelly Dykstra and one of the other pastors there at the crossing uh, discussing what they call the code. Okay, the code uh, they've ripped this off from Stephen Furtick. Uh, the code is the code by which they operate. The, and uh, and then after we listen to them, you know, talking about the code, and you need to hear this. You need to hear this. Then we're going to turn around and we're going to listen to a full blown sermon called Submission. Okay, talk about abuse. Talk about a misunderstanding of the authority of the pastoral office. Yeah, this this is going to be a train wreck. But you've got to hear this because this guy actually thinks he's a prophet. He's heard from God, and it's his way or the highway. And to challenge his vision is to actually challenge God. I, the, not my words, theirs. You're going to hear it in their words, not mine. Now, before we get to that, though, before we get to that, I need you to open up your Bible. We need to spend a little bit of time in the biblical text. There are three letters in the Bible, three letters in the New Testament written by Paul that are called the pastoral epistles. They are First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus. And they lay out the expectations and requirements of the pastoral office and the qualifications for the person who holds the pastoral office, Okay. Um, so you need to hear this first, and then we're going to compare this stuff to what we hear Eric Kelly and the associate pastor talk about in the code. Because here's the deal. The leadership model employed by Eric Dykstra is not taught in the Bible at all. There are no passages that say any of the things you're going to hear them say. Okay. Instead, you need to know what the real thing is. Then you'll be able to hear what they're saying and no, no, one, uh, no one understand why it's wrong. So if you have your Bible, open up to First Timothy we're going to start at chapter 2. If you want to read the whole thing, the whole letter, you can read the letter pretty quickly. It's not that difficult. We're going to read quite a bit of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 just to, you know, to give us a biblical anchor that we can hang on to as we uh, listen to the rest of our today's program in comparing what Eric Dykstra is uh, teaching regarding leadership and authority and things like that. Um, and, and see if that's really the case. Okay, so if you have your Bible, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I do read from the ESV. I lovingly refer to it as the English Sanctified Version. So if you have a different translation, um, you, know, you know what translation I'm using. If you want to go onto the Internet and follow along using the ESV, uh, recommend a good site, BibleGateway.com. You should be able to follow along in the ESV then. Here's what it says. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, Intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. This is talking about what's to take place in the church. For kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, and that the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, and I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in the faith and truth. I desire that in every place the men should pray, 
lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold or pearls, or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly, with all submissiveness, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain silent. Now, this is not a cultural mandate. This is a mandate that is um, made in light of creation. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because Kelly Dykstra, from time to time, teaches there at the Crossing Church. And this is in direct defiance to what God's Word clearly teaches. Okay, Let me read the rest of Paul's argument. I do not promote a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So right off the bat, we've got a problem. Kelly Dystra teaches regularly there at the Crossing Church in direct violation of the clear teaching of the biblical text. And as far as you know, the idea that this, well, this is just a cultural thing. No, it's not. Because back then in the ancient culture, the, the the ancient Greco-Roman culture had no problem with priestesses or women being in, in authority in a religious context. Um, they they exercised. There were priestesses of all types and stripes throughout the Greco-Roman Empire, and so that, that's just absolutely historically ignorant. If you make the claim that, uh, well, that, this is just because the, the the culture. No, it wasn't. This is actually countercultural. We continue. First Timothy three one. Now, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, that's a pastor. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Notice it says care. So there's there's a correlation here. Pastoral office is similar to the office of father in a family. Okay. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now remember our... Um, Remember our interview with Jeremy Rogan. Jeremy Rogan made it clear that there were not only people who were, you know, pastors who were not qualified. They were really recently new to the faith. There were some people who were pastors at the crossing who weren't even Christians. And here the biblical text that makes this clear. A pastor cannot be a recent convert, must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Now, deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless." Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. 
For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things uh, to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the Spirit, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and then taken up in glory. Chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, require abstinence from foods, that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believed and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving, for it, it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers set for the believers an example in speech and in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that, uh, with which you have been given by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now remember, Jeremy Rogan talked about the fact that Eric Dykstra mocked people who had their noses in the Bible all the time and called them Bible nerds, even did this publicly during a service. Yet the scriptures are clear here in First Timothy um, that, um, that, he is to, that pastors are to devote themselves to the public reading of scripture. The job of the pastor is to preach the word. That's what the scriptures teach. Okay. Now, Paul also gave us more clear teaching and you know regarding what is expected of a pastor in Second Timothy. If you have your Bible, flip on over just a couple pages to Second Timothy chapter two. I want to read a little bit more to you so that we have a good biblical idea of the office of the pastor and what the responsibilities of that office are. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, this saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him... He will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins hearers. 
do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolishness, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal and not loving the good. Now, I want to point this out. People have been this way since uh, Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God and fell into sin. The reason why this is such an important thing to key in on is because Paul is warning us that in the last times there will be difficulty, and this is what's going to happen in the church. In the church, there are going to be people who are lovers of self. In the church, there are going to be people who are lovers of money, who are proud, arrogant, and abusive. Okay, Keep those words in your mind as we listen to the other segments of this program today. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, with which persecutions I endured, yet... From them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All scripture is breathed out by God. By the way, the fact that Eric Dykstra 
would put down people who have their nose in the Bible and call them Bible nerds and mock them is proof positive that he is an imposter. No biblical Christian pastor sent by God would ever mock people for going deeper into God's word and knowing his word. Never mock them as a bunch of Bible nerds. Keep that in mind. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. For I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, and now is, when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Okay, now that's our biblical counterpoint to uh, what it is that we're going to hear after the break. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you... <laughs> Tinfoil pyramid hats, motorcycle helmet would be good at this point. Yeah, you're going to need all of them. Um, if you'd like to email me, again, I'm really, truly soliciting your your responses to what you're hearing on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. You can email me, my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Think Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. 
That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Join our crew today and thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Warning, any pastor who claims he's received a vision from God that's specific to his congregation as far as how they're to do church hasn't actually heard from the biblical God. 
Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't partner with us, uh, well, we can't keep doing what we're doing. The way you partner with us financially is by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Now we're going to continue with our... uh, follow-up to Friday's uh, edition of Fighting for the Faith. Now, you just buckle up. Here's, um, well, this is going to be um, Eric Dykstra, Kelly Dykstra, and another pastor on staff there talking about what they call the code. To give you a flavor of what it is that you're going to hear, here's just a teaser. Here we go. Number two, we are united under the visionaries. Now, the visionary here is Eric. The crossing is built on the vision that God gave Pastor Eric. They're they're built on the visionary. God gave a vision to Pastor Eric. And we will aggressively defend that vision. Now, what does that mean, you aggressively defend that? That means that we do church the way he wants us to do it. And me as a campus pastor, I can't go up to Zimmerman and decide that I'm going to preach on Sunday because that's not the vision that we have for this church that God gave to Eric. Mm -hmm. And we defend that when people go, well, maybe we should do it this way. And we're like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. God gave Eric this vision. We do it this way because we don't want to argue with God. Yeah, yeah, did you hear that? Let me play that last part again. God gave Eric this vision. We do it this way because we don't want to argue with God. So you don't like the way they do church there at uh, the crossing? Well, Tough bananas. This God gave a vision to Eric Dykstra. He's the visionary. Everybody's job is to get behind him. And if you don't like the vision, well, well, how did he put it again? Let's let's uh, hear that again. Um, God gave Eric this vision. Uh-huh. We do it this way because we don't want to argue with God. Yeah, you don't like the way things are being done there. Well, you, 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 your problem isn't with Eric. Your problem is with God. You challenge the vision. You're challenging God. That's what's going on there at the Crossing Church. Now, here's the deal. I defy any seeker-driven, purpose-driven pastor, including Eric Dykstra, to provide me with a single verse of Scripture that says that God is going to give you a specific vision on how you are to do church. Jesus is the leader of the Christian church, and he's already given the church its mission and vision statements. You can find them in Matthew 28, as well as Luke chapter 24, respectively. Matthew 28, go, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded. That would be part one. Part two, there, go therefore and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. Yeah, the church has been around for a long time, long time, longer than, well, the crossing church has been. And there isn't a single passage of scripture that says that individual congregations 
that their pastors are going to receive a vision from God on how to do church a particular way, and that if you don't like it, well, you've got a problem because God is the one who gave it to them. Again, here, here, here's, the, here's the quote. God gave Eric this vision. We do it this way because we don't want to argue with God. Yeah, you don't want to argue with God. Now, that's just a taste of what it is that we're going to hear. Here's, here they be talking about what they call the code, which they stole from Stephen Furtick. Now, what I want to do next is we've talked to you about beliefs. We've talked to you about vision. We've talked to you about our story. I want. By the way, this is from a sermon entitled, I Love My Church. I want to talk to you about our values. What? Our, our va- oh, I've never preached these before. That's why you've never seen these before. I've never preached on the values of the Crossroads Church. What, what, what's our priorities as a church? How do we make choices to move ahead? And so what, I'm gonna, what we're going to do next is the, the four of us are going to walk through the 18 major values of the church. We're going to go through them really, really fast. It's going to pop through 18 values of the church. Now, in telling you these values, here's what you got to know. This is the code of the Crossing Church. Stick to the code. We've, yeah, we're going to stick to the code. That's what makes us successful. That, that's what, why God's hand of favor and blessing is on this church. And did, we stick to the- yeah, did you hear that? God's hand of blessing and favor is on this church because they're faithful to the code. Really? Um, hmm. So it, I mean, apparently this vision includes a very unique code that, if, uh, that applies to them. And, if, if they don't, uh, and the reason why they're being blessed is because they're obeying this extra-biblical um, revelation that, um, that Eric Dykstra has received. And God is blessing them because of their obedience to this extra-biblical revelation that the prophet Eric Dykstra has received. And if you don't follow this code, well, they're not going to be blessed. And if they, if they, if you challenge what they're doing here, you're challenging God Himself. Let me be, let me be blunt. They did not get this from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They did not get this from the God of the Bible. That not I'm I'm sure he had a vision or a dream, but it wasn't the origin of that dream was not the throne of heaven, because this is extra biblical material that contradicts God's word. Again, here we listen again. This is the code of the Crossing Church. Stick to the code. We've yeah, we're gonna stick to the code. That's what makes us successful. That what that's what why God's hand of favor and blessing is on this church, is we stick to the code. Okay. And we're going to keep sticking to the code. We've got some beliefs, but we also got a code. We want you to know what the code of the Crossing Church is. Yeah, extra-biblical uh, revelation directly from God. Teen of them, first and foremost. Here's the first one. Throw that up there. The Church of Jesus Christ is the only hope in all the world. We believe that with all our heart. Yeah. I do not think political parties change the world. Okay, now watch what he does here. He's going to equivocate. He's going to use two different definitions of the word church. Okay. Here's the you got to be real careful. Listen carefully. Definitions mean something, and sometimes you can tell when somebody's deceiving you when they use one word, but they use two different meanings of it within like the same breath. Okay. Now, when we talk about the church, okay, there's there's different definitions of the word church. Now, the Greek word ekklesia, okay, this it, it, it's it's those it's those who are called out, the called out ones. It's a crowd. It's a congregation. Those who are called out. And so we can talk about the church being the body of Christ, those who've been regenerated through the preaching of the gospel. That's the church, okay? Now, there's, there's other definitions for the church. For instance, uh, the, the local church that you go to. You could say, I, I attend XYZ church in such and such a town, okay? Now, and what that's referring to is, is that it's referring to the place where 
your particular congregation or group of Christians gather to hear God's word and to receive the Lord's Supper on any given Sunday. So you can say it's XYZ Church. And you know, you know, I attend a Lutheran church, so I attend a Lutheran church in XYZ town here in Indiana. So you, you get what I'm saying. So that's another definition of church. Watch what he does here. He says the church, the church is the only hope for the world, and then he defined he he takes that broad definition and then switches it to the individual definition of their particular congregation. So watch what he does here. It's a really rather interesting slide of hand. Foremost, here's the first one. Throw that up there. The Church of Jesus Christ is the only hope in all the world. We believe that with all our heart. Yeah. I do not think political parties change the world. I don't think government's going to change the world. I do think somebody else is going to get elected, and then people are going to argue because the wrong guy got elected. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Jesus only created one thing. He created a church, which means the only thing he thought. Now, that's a lie. Absolutely a lie. Does not, where in the Bible does it ever say that Jesus only created one thing, and that's the church? Jesus is God in human flesh. And I think you can make a very clear case biblically that Jesus is the means by which the world was spoken into existence. So to say that there's only one thing that Jesus created, and that's the church, well, that's just flat-out false. Jesus is God, and you take a look around you. All of the matter that you see, and, you know, from you know, if you're listening in your car, the things that you can smell, taste, touch, all of that was created by Jesus. And yeah, it does matter. I'm not being just nitpicky. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Jesus only created one thing. He created a church, which means the only thing he thought might make an impact on planet Earth when he bailed was the church. Right. And by the way, Jesus didn't bail. Jesus ascended and sits at the right hand of God the Father. He's ruling in heaven currently. He didn't bail on us. Right. Which means this. If you're a part of the crossing church, you orbit. Now notice, notice. He started off with a big definition of of church and now all of a sudden he switches to the their particular congregation bit your life around the crossing church it's the only thing that matters on planet earth that's what backing it up was the church that's right which means this if you're a part of the crossing church you orbit your life around the crossing church it's the only thing that matters on planet earth that's what basically jesus said i'm gonna build my church gates of hell not gonna be not gonna prevail against it so we believe this that we orbit like the crossing church is the sun, and us as as people that attend this church, man, we orbit our finances around the crossing church. We, we, we orbit our time around the crossing church. We don't just show up when we feel like it. We come because, man, this is the most important entity on planet Earth. Right. We, we are, Apparently the most important entity on planet Earth is the crossing church. We orbit our talents around the crossing church. We're going to make sure that whatever talent we have, we're going to use it at the crossing church to better reach people and to populate hell. We orbit our lives around the crossing church because we think it's the only hope in all the world. That's right. Yeah. Number two, we are united under the visionary. Yeah, now, this, is, this, is, this is what I previewed earlier. The visionary here is Eric. The crossing is built on the vision that God gave Pastor Eric. Yeah. And we will aggressively defend that vision. Now, what does that mean, you aggressively defend that? That means that we do church the way he wants us to do it. And me as a campus pastor, I can't go up to Zimmerman and decide that I'm going to preach on Sunday because that's not the vision that we have for this church that God gave to Eric. Mm -hmm. And we defend that 
when people go, well, maybe we should do it this way. And we're like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. God gave Eric this vision. We do it this way because we don't want to argue with God, basically. Yeah. Okay. So they don't want to argue with God. Eric Dykstra is a prophet in his own mind. And to challenge his vision is to challenge God himself. They just said it. We don't want to be like, you know, Eric's not God. We're not saying Eric's God. He's not God. God. He's got a vision from God. And we have decided with our lives that we're going to follow that vision Mm -hmm. and we're going to stick to that. And if we ever just decide that we don't want to be a part of that vision, then we can go find a church and serve somewhere else. And that's, that's okay. We're not telling anybody that they have to unite under this vision that, that Eric got from God. You can do whatever you want, but we think that it's a really cool vision we're on board with it, and we're going to defend it, and we're going to stick to it. Yeah, you go right ahead. I don't think he received a vision from God at all. In fact, I, I am willing to bet my soul that he did not receive a vision from God, that he, this is a complete delusion. Why? Because Eric Dykstra mangles God's word. Eric Dykstra is abusing people with this so-called power and authority that he thinks that he has for himself. No way. A good tree does not bear bad fruit. This man is not a true prophet. And by the way, by them claiming that he received a vision from God, he automatically, by definition, gets put into the category of prophet. And then it's up to the church to decide whether or not he's a true prophet or a false prophet. Just because he's sly enough and, well, let's say shrewd enough to not actually claim prophet status for himself doesn't matter. The fact that these folks so blatantly claim that he's received a direct vision from God to do this this way makes him a prophet. Same as, though, literally, I mean, we might as well take down every, we take this vision down and tack it onto the back end of your Bible. We'll call this, uh, you know, we'll call this the uh, 21st century prophets. And I don't think he's a major prophet. Maybe he's a minor prophet. And this is the prophecy of Dykstra. Okay. And so we can say in the year 2005, The word of the Lord came to Eric Dykstra and said, you shall start a church. And the word of the Lord said to Eric Dykstra, and you shall make a church for people who do not do church so that you can depopulate hell. And you will do things this way. You will play Motley Crue cover songs. You will mock those who have their faces in the Bible and call them Bible nerds. You will... Demand complete obedience to you and submission to you as a pastor. You see what I'm saying? This guy actually claims that he's received a prophetic vision from God, and to challenge the vision is to challenge God. They've said it themselves. That's what's going wrong here. Oh, yeah. Third, we are, we are an invasion force, not a fortress. A lot of churches, they get together on the weekend and go, Oh, no, the world's big and bad and scary, and let's comfort each other. That's a fortress. You don't help anybody when the world is big and bad. No, 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 no. You help nobody as a church when all you are is scared of the world. Yeah. We are a we are invasion force, not a fortress, means, which means we are trying to invade our city. We're going to use every aspect of culture. We're going to do anything we can to depopulate hell in this town. Yes. 
That's what we do. We don't run from culture or condemn culture. We use it to reach people. Yeah. We're an invasion force. Number four, it's the weekend stupid. Mm. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it's all about the weekend. Everything that we do at this church is geared towards tonight and tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Because the majority of the people who are going to entertain giving Jesus the leadership of their life are going to do that on Saturday or Sunday at this yeah. church. Yeah. We do things midweek. We do seller classes. We do. Okay. Another proof. Another proof that there's a problem here. The guy's a Pelagian heretic. He's Pelagian. He denies the doctrine of original sin. Absolutely flat out denies it. And even if he were to say, well, no, no, I, I believe in original sin. I, I believe that man is totally is, is born dead in trespasses and sins. You can say it with your words, but you're denying it in practice. Because this whole thing is about helping people make a decision for Jesus, and yet God's word is so clear on this, that we are born from above, not by a human decision, but by the will of God. We are brought to repentance and faith through the preaching of God's word. We do not make a decision for Jesus. And if you you, you don't know what the Pelagian heresy is, it's time for you to do some research on church history. The Pelagian heresy was taught by a heretic, and it was put down by the church. And you might want to spend some time reading the great Augustine and his writings against the Pelagian heresy. So in practice, these folks are Pelagian heretics. You see what's going wrong here? He claims he's got a vision from God, yet he doesn't even understand fundamentally what the problem is with humanity. So we're trying to make the deci- we're trying to help people to make the decision to make Jesus the quote leader of their life. Where in the Bible does it say that you are saved once you decide to make a decision to make Jesus the leader of your life? Hmm. Small groups, we do things of that sort, but all of our money. All of the flyers, all of the mailers, all of the advertising is all geared for the weekend. That's where the most people come at one given time that we can hit the biggest crowd with. Absolutely. It's all about the weekend. Yep. And, and it always will be yeah. about the weekend. And we target men. We are very unapologetic about the fact that we target men with all of our advertising, with the way we design our services, everything. And you know what? Uh, women yeah. sometimes. From their advertising to Kelly Dykstra on the television saying, holy shift, or to their advertising for their church in the bar, come to church in the buff. Sometimes you're like, what? You're target? You don't care about me? I would ask you this. If statistics show that if a woman comes to church, 85% of the time, her husband and the rest of the family will not follow. But if the man comes to church, generally the rest of the family will follow. Women, do you want us to get your men to church? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the response that I always get from women. So when, when I'm working on the marketing, the language on our advertising, I don't give a rat's behind about football, but I am doing a marketing campaign right now about Vikings, the Vikings, because it will draw the men. And yes, women, it will. You know what? <laughs> women, we will come too, but we want God to make a difference in the man in our home, in the man in our life, because we know that it'll affect the rest of our life. So our target is 20 to 30-something-year-old, beer-drinking, McDonald's-eating American men. Absolutely. That's who we're going for. Some people don't like the way I talk. So they're, they're, they're not going for everybody. They're just going for beer-drinking, McDonald's-eating men. Hmm. Yet we're to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all nations, not to just market segments. Weird, isn't it?
Talk? Why do I talk that way? I'm talking to dudes in their 20s. And they don't care about the language that I use. In fact, they're just happy I didn't drop the, they're like, whoa, he didn't, he didn't drop the F-bomb. No way. I wish I could do that. That, that's all they say. You know what I'm saying? That's our target. Now, I'm gonna give you a sixth one, but this one, this, uh, I can give you the sixth one. People get so confused about this one. Number six is we need your seat. We need your seat. Now, that's not, doesn't mean I want you to leave and go to church someplace else. That means this. If you are a Jesus follower, if you're in the 50% of this church that has said, I follow Christ with my life, we don't want you to just sit. We want you to serve. Seriously, Jesus called people to be servants, not sitters. I don't find that able to follow me and be a sitter forever. But this is what Christians do all across the country. They find it. They, they follow Jesus. And then where can I put my butt in the chair? Going to stop. Going to stop right there. By the way. The Bible gets to define what a, what a good work is, not you, not me, not anybody else. The Bible defines a good work as being a good husband, being a good wife, being a good employee. So when the church gathers to hear God's word, they've spent an entire week doing good works. Good works are taking out the garbage, cleaning poopy diapers, cleaning snotty noses, getting in your car and commuting to work every day and doing a good job at work. Christians are out doing good works. And how do I know these are good works? Because I can read my Bible. The Bible makes it so clear that we are, as Christians are to work quietly with our hands, to make a living for ourselves, to provide for ourselves, and to be good husbands, good wives, good employees. So Christians, when they gather on Sunday morning, they've spent an entire week doing good works. And here he's Basically saying, no, 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 you come to church here, you, 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 you know, we need your seat, we expect you to get to work, because there's big people out there who are just spending all their time sitting in church. What? That's just terrible. This is wrong. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach anything like this. Um, but uh, if you have your Bible, flip on over to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. I, I would like to read a gospel story for you. Okay, I would like to read a story from the gospel that challenges everything that Eric Dykstra just said. You'll find it in the gospel of Luke, chapter 10, starting at verse 38. Here's what it says. Now, as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, now, I'm going, to give you, I'm, I'm going to give you the false answer. Here's what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, oh, my goodness, you're right. Oh, what was I thinking? Uh, uh, the job of a Christian is to be busy, 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 busy serving me. And ser oh, my goodness, you are so right. Mary, how dare you be a lazy disciple and sitting here expecting me to feed you with my word? Oh, my God. Get up and get going. Get cracking. Get moving, woman. Jesus didn't say that. Instead, he says this. The Lord answered her, Martha, 
Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. For 2,000 years, Christians have been out serving their neighbors through their vocation and the, and the roles that God has put them in. The role of mother, the role of father, the role of student, the role of son, the role of daughter, the role of slave, the role of servant, the role of employee. Serving their neighbor in their vocation for 2,000 years. And for 2,000 years, the church has gathered Sunday after Sunday to sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear his word and to be taught his word, to be fed by the shepherds whom God has called to feed them with the word of Christ. What Eric Dykstra just said flips this story on its head and shows that he does not understand what a good work is. And he does not understand what I just read from First and Second Timothy, that his role is to preach the word. It's the job of Eric Dykstra to serve. And this is exactly the point that Jesus makes in another chapter, Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. Here's what it says. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their flaccataries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And I call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructor, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Instead, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Yeah, what I'm hearing from Eric Dykstra is the exact opposite of this. He's exalted himself. He's the prophet. Don't challenge his vision. He received it from God. And to challenge the vision is to challenge God himself. And now he's whipping people into shape. Oh, this isn't a comfortable enough one. I'm going to go to the next church over and put my butt in that chair. <laughs> They're all about their butt. That's a little weird, don't you think? Maybe Christians should be about serving, which is what Jesus was about. So we say we need your seat. If you're a Jesus follower, you said, I follow Christ with my life. I've gotten baptized. The next step for you is that you got to volunteer in Christ's church, which means this. You might come here for a couple months, and we might talk about volunteering, but there's going to be a moment when I'm going to look at you in the face and say, where are you going to serve? And you say, oh, I don't really want to serve, Pastor. I just really like taking up space. I'm going to ask you to take up space in a different church. No. But truly straight up as I can make it. Sometimes, um, and we are very, very, very clear about not inviting church people from other churches to the crossing. We do not want to steal sheep from other flocks, okay? But sometimes people come to the crossing after being hurt at another church, and they're in pain, they've had a really bad experience, they come here and they say, Kelly, 
I just really need to heal. What about all the people you're hurting, Kelly? Through this abusive power. For a little while. And this is a safe place for you to come and heal for a little while. But this is what we say to you. You put a time limit on your healing time. Okay? So we'll say three months, you sit and heal. You do what you need to do so you can recover from the pain that you experience somewhere else. But at the end of that three months, then it's going to be time for you to get up and start serving somebody else because a lot of our healing is wrapped up in actually getting off our butts and serving other people too. So we, you come here, you heal, but then you get up and you partner with us. Otherwise, you're just taking up space. Just and we have seats sleep. reserved for lost people. We've already run over this, man. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost, man. We want to reach more people who are far from God. That's what the whole week talked last week about the prodigal son was about. This is reach- so convoluted. This, I mean, this is just flat-out abuse. More prodigals. To do that, we've got to have space that's left over for people who don't know Christ yet. And you know what? This is like the coolest place in the whole world to volunteer. It's amazing. It's so much fun. If you volunteer here, raise your hand. Look at, Look at that. that. Good job, guys. Yeah. Well done. Give these guys a round of applause. Uh, can I make a point here? Um, the volunteers are people who actually volunteer. Somebody who is coerced is not a volunteer. They just said that if you're not getting to work, we're going to put you to work. And if you say you don't want to be put to work, then they're going to kick you out of the church and make you go somewhere else. There's no volunteers at the Crossing Church then, by definition. A volunteer is somebody who willingly, of their own volition, without coercion or manipulation, decides on their own to give freely of their time, talents, or treasure, or whatever, to do a particular job. Nobody there is doing this willingly. There's, there is, there's not a single volunteer at the Crossing Church because, by definition, nobody here is doing this willingly. They're told they have to do it or else. I think the only group that didn't raise their hand, they are all from another church volunteering. They come to check us out tonight. Thanks, guys, for coming. <laughs> They're like, oh, we feel bad we didn't raise our hands. It's okay. <laughs> Number seven, we lead the way in generosity. Absolutely. If you are a leader or staff member at this church, I've seen it. You bend over backwards. You go the extra mile. You are constantly giving time, talent, treasure, whatever. The, The reason there's parking spots out front is because... Staff and leaders are parking in Wisconsin. (laughs) (laughs) We're parking as far away as possible. Why? These seats are reserved for people who are far from God. Right. Generosity, generosity, generosity. You will not find more generous people here. They are givers. You saw who gave the most at the church. It's always staff and leadership. We demand that of them. They do an awesome job of it, and that's how it works. Your turn. Oh, it's my turn. (laughs) Number eight, we act with radical faith. What's that mean? That I believe that when you take big steps, God shows up in big ways. When you take small steps, nothing happens. That's right. So many churches are like, how come God never does anything? God never does anything because you're not doing anything. That's why. If you want God to show up in a big way, you've got to take big steps. So this fall, we're sending out the biggest mailing in the history of the church. Send out more, more pieces of mail than we've ever seen. By the way, this is the cosmic quid pro quo, complete confusion of law and gospel. So now we're still launching another campus. We're, we're giving away tickets to the Viking. Why would we do this? Because we think if you could get in the door and hear about Jesus, your life could get changed. We're going to do whatever it takes. Now, and I'm not going to. 
Now, the problem is, uh, Eric, I've listened to your sermons. When people get in the door, you're not actually preaching Christ and him crucified for our sins. You're not really preaching Jesus. So don't sit there and say, we're taking all these extreme measures to reach people for Jesus. Because when you get them in the door, you twist and mangle God's word. You give a whole bunch of self-help pep talks. Um, Seriously, based upon what you preach on, people would come to the conclusion that the real holy and sanctified life is a person who uh, is out of debt, who who has no debt, who uh, tithes to the church, who has a great sex life, uh, and, uh, and knows their purpose. But that's not what the Bible defines as Christian sanctification at all, sir. Gonna take smaller steps in the future. You hang out at the crossing. You are on a roller co- roller coaster ride for man. You better buckle up because we're gonna take bigger steps in the future than we've ever taken in the past. Just wait. Some of the steps coming up are gonna be ginormous. This guy's arrogance is just off the chain. Enormous. We spent a day yesterday in planning about the next year for this church. Oh my gosh! Some of the steps blow your mind, and then God's gonna blow our minds in even bigger ways when That's we step right. up. That's right. It's gonna happen. Wow. It's going to get crazy up in here. Number nine, we are a hospital, not a cathedral. See, we believe that Jesus came for broken, addicted, regular people, not just the religious people. That's right. Then everybody is welcome. Anything's possible. Anything can happen. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen when people walk in the door. This should never be a place when somebody walks in and it's like walking into somebody else's family reunion. You know what I mean? You ever had that feeling like, oh. Yeah, I don't belong here. We never want people to feel that way. Um, When you walk in here, we don't care what your background is. We don't care who you slept with. We don't care what you drank last night. We don't care what you smoked out in the parking lot. We don't care. We just want you to know that Jesus Or in the bathroom, which once in a while we catch some people smoking weed. Yeah, quit smoking in the bathroom. That's kind of weird. It was Tom. (laughs) But seriously, Jesus didn't die so that we could act like we were better than anyone. That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. He died so that everyone would know that he loves them, that he is awesome, and that we can all get help with our junk because right. of him. Absolutely. That's right. Actually, he died to propitiate the wrath of God. Read your Bible, sir. Makes it very clear that Jesus' shed blood, his sufferings and death, was hit our punishment being put on him to propitiate the wrath of God so that we could be forgiven and given the righteousness of Christ as a gift. This this gospel I just heard is completely deficient. See, a hospital n- never looks at somebody that's coming in the emergency room and says, sorry, you're too injured. You got to go. You're out. Go bleed somewhere else. See, we want this to be a place where people can find health. Yeah. They find the love of Jesus. Yeah. They get healing and help and love. And we are the ones that get to show them that. We get on behalf of heaven every week to speak into people's lives and show them who Jesus really is and help them find healthy life through Jesus. I think that's amazing. Number 10, we dress for the future, man. We dress for the... When you go to a party, do you dress up when you get there? No! You get dressed beforehand. And then, By the way, he stole this from Stephen Furtick. And then you go to the party. Same is true for this church. We are always planning for the future, not the present. In other words, I don't think of myself as a pastor of 1,700. I think of myself as a pastor of a church of 3,000. 
Why do I do that? So we become a church of 3,000. If I'm thinking like a church of 1,700, I'll never go, I'll never go to 3,000. Mm-hmm. We'll just live at 1,700. Right. So I'm always thinking the next step in the puzzle. We're hiring staff before we need them. What? What are they going to do? Oh, I'm sure we'll put them to work. <laughs> It'll happen. <laughs> we hire them before we need them so that we can go where we want to go. We always dress for the future. Number 11, we believe that creativity reflects God. Like was said earlier, we will do anything it takes to present the message of Jesus in a way that people will understand and they will hear us. We believe that God is an amazing creative genius, and it's our job to reflect that. So that's why you see you two on our stage. You see uh, crazy stuff, designs, shirts. Was Bono here? Creative Bono was here. <laughs> Sorry. No, that was Justin Bieber. Um, and... <laughs> You will never live that down, Ben Saffron. Ben right. Saffron looks just like he Justin Bieber. You should get his ben autograph. He's sticking Justin. to it, though. He's not giving up he on the look. It's true. <laughs> so we even went and found ourselves a celebrity lookalike because we, <laughs> because we believe that God is the most creative genius in the world, and we are to reflect him. So we will do anything. We, do, we bring a Jeep in the lobby. Seriously, we had a submarine in here a little while back. We're going to have cheerleaders stunting in the parking lot on our grand opening weekend because it's a football theme. We will do whatever it takes to draw people to hear the message of Jesus. Absolutely. Number 12, we are Starbucks, not Old Country Buffet. <laughs> Aww. Starbucks does one thing, and they do it real well. It's called coffee. Old Country Buffet, what do they do well? Everything Nothing. poorly. <laughs> they do everything terrible. Sorry if you work at Old Country Buffet, but that's the truth, baby. They do everything terrible. They're doing so much, nothing is good. This is churches all across the country. They do so much stuff that nothing has done quality. Nothing is ever quality. So to make sure things are quality, we only do four things. This is the, this is the code. We only do four things. Four things is all we're ever going to do. We do weekend services all about the weekend. We do small groups so you can connect to somebody else. We do seller classes so you could grow in your faith. And we do crossing recovery so you can kick your addiction. That's all we do. That's it. Now, didn't Kelly just do this event called Twirl the other day? She did like this women's event with like 400 women came. Yeah, you know why she did it? Because she's trying to get girls in small groups. It's under the small group ministry. We only do four things. The next time she she does Twirl, it's going to be even more focused on getting girls into small groups. Why? Because if girls got some connection around here, they'd probably grow spiritually. That's right. Everything is about those four. We are Starbucks, not Old Country Buffet. Number 13, we are a generation of honor. We freely give honor to those above us, beside us, and under us because of the calling and potential that God has placed inside them. We know that Eric is the visionary that God has given the vision for this church to, and we give him honor because of that. And he deserves the honor. Yeah, that, that, that's code for you don't, you don't challenge him, you don't put him down, you don't ever critique him. Because God's put him in this position. We respect and honor him for that. I give honor to these other gentlemen that are at this table because God has gifted them uniquely to lead people and to shepherd people at the other campuses of the crossing. We give honor and respect to people because of the unique gifting that God has given each one of us. And we do not dishonor each other within the body of Christ here at this. Yeah, I'm going to point something out here. Uh, this was, this is not the full sermon. And by the way, we're not going to get to the other th- sermon today. I'm going to have to do that as our sermon review for tomorrow time constraints, because I needed to do a good job of doing the biblical counter work here. I want to point something out though. This was a sermon. This was the sermon time at this so-called church. Okay. And I, I would just like to counter the fact that this, this is not what a pastor 
or should be doing during sermon time. The job of a pastor is to preach the word in season and out of season. But I, I would like to uh, provide you with a, also a counterpoint to this biblically. Here's what it says. Um, first, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 4, okay, starting at verse 1. Let me read. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. Well, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. Let me say that again. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants. For Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let, shine, let the light shine in the darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The biblical leadership, even the apostolic leadership revealed in the Bible, is not one of top-down, this is the pastor's vision, don't you dare question him. You better show him honor and respect. And then when we get up on a Sunday morning, we're going to talk all about ourselves. No, no, no. The biblical leadership is 180 degrees different from this. Let me read again. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. Yet, this entire sermon that I'm so far, these guys have done nothing but proclaim themselves. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants. It's not what we're hearing from these folks. What we're hearing is the 180 degrees opposite of what we just heard the Apostle Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This church, if you dishonor Jason in front of me, I will punch you in the face. She's not joking. I she am will. not joking because we will defend our staff. We do defend our staff. You come to me and you criticize my staff and I will take you down a few notches. If you have a problem with my staff member, you go to them. But we give honor in this church. We do not misspeak about our pastors. We do not misspeak about other volunteers and other people in this church. That, that means don't challenge him, don't critique him, don't do, no, no. You say any, you talk him down. Kelly Dykstra is going to take your face off. So we have a culture of honor that we give, and then we also give honor to people that we are training up as apprentices under us because we see the potential that is in them. And so we bring them that as well. And you know what? People around this church who are very, very good at giving honor to my husband and I, those are the people that get, like, invited to my birthday party and that kind of thing. Because yeah, that's right. If you want to go to my, my birthday party, don't you dare say anything dishonorable about my husband. Don't you dare critique him. Don't you dare say what he said that wasn't found in the Bible. No, no, no. But if you toe the line then and you just be a good person and shut up, well, then, well, I might invite you to my birthday party. Weird, isn't it? They are the ones who serve with us, and they give us the best honor. And, and we're like, you know what? You are owning this with us. You recognize what God is doing, and you see it as valuable, and you do it with us. And we appreciate that, and we give honor back to you as a result of that. Absolutely. No, no, number 14, we are all about the numbers. You know what the funniest thing ever I hear from, a, from a, another pastor or from another church person outside in the community? You're just about the numbers, and I go, yep, all about the numbers, baby. 
They're thinking they're criticizing me, and I'm like eating it up. Why? Because numbers equals influence. Right. If the numbers go. Yeah, notice the first thing out of his mouth. Numbers equal influence. Hmm. Go up, there's more influence going on. So I look back and say, so who are you influencing? Oh, we're down about numbers. Well, good. Who knows anything about you then? <laughs> if you want people to know about Jesus, the numbers got to go up. Jesus has a whole Bible, a whole, a whole book of the Bible dedicated to numbers that were kind of important to him. Read the Bible. There's 66 books. One of them is called the book of numbers. <laughs> numbers seem to be valuable. Numbers matter. Everyone represents a lost soul, man. Every- that is a, just a lame argument, by the way. It's truth over numbers. Truth over numbers. Jesus himself makes it clear that if somebody will not listen to you, you are to shake the dust off your feet and move along. Let me read to you a passage from the Gospel of John that contradicts this way of thinking. This is about Jesus himself, by the way. Gospel of John, chapter 6. If you have your Bible, flip on over. Now, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him. Large, okay? That's the setup. Jesus is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, otherwise known as the Sea of Tiberias, and he had a huge crowd following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing what a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, it's all about the numbers. No, that's not what he said. Here's what he said. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Philip said to this test. uh, He said this to test him for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, "Uh, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each one of them to even get just a little. Now, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now we know the size of the crowd um, at this point as far as the men are concerned. So they took account. There's 5,000 men in attendance. It's all about the numbers, right? It's all that's this is what Dykstra is saying. It's all about the numbers. It's all about the numbers. So here we got we got a crowd of 5,000 men. This is not counting the women and it's not counting the children. I mean, this could easily be a crowd of between 15,000 and 20,000. It's all about the numbers though, right? Watch what happens. Jesus then took the loaves When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that they had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. I mean, this is a great response. We got... At least fifteen to 20,000 people at this point who are struck by this miracle. This is a huge crowd. It's all about the numbers, though, right? So perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. It's all about the numbers, right? 
When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began uh, became rough because of the strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus on the sea and coming near the boat. He was walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to see him into the boat. And take him into the boat. Immediately the boat was on the land to which they were going. Now on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten and the, eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So now this huge crowd is on their way to Capernaum because they want to, they are seeking after Jesus. It's all about the numbers though, right? It's all about the numbers. When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you that you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So then they said to him, well, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Well, sir, give us this bread always. Remember, it's all about the numbers, right? I just got to make, make that clear. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall, not lose, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day." For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him. This is the crowd. This is the 5,000 men. This is the crowd. They're now grumbling about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were looking for a temporal fix. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except 
he who is from God, he who has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my own flesh. So then the Jews disputed among themselves. Remember, this is the crowd. It's all about the numbers, right? So here the people, the 5,000 men who were there when Jesus fed them, they're now disputing with Jesus and having an argument with him because he's speaking the truth to them. They don't believe in him at all. The Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who were to, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Verse 66. Remember, Eric Dykstra said, it's all about the numbers. It's all about the numbers. Jesus performed a miracle for 5,000 men. The crowd was probably numbered between 15 and 20,000. It's all about the numbers. And when they sought him out, he taught them the truth, the hard truth, and they would not listen to him. And it's here's what it says in verse 66. After this, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? I mean, imagine this. If Eric Dykstra was there, I'm pretty sure he'd be going, What are you doing, Jesus? It's all about the numbers. Dude, you've got a mega church. Just get, perform another miracle. Give him some more food, Jesus. Come on. We've got a crowd of fifteen to 20,000 people here, Jesus. What are you doing? Jesus actually, by preaching the truth, drove them away. And it says, many of them turned back and no longer followed him. So then Jesus turns to the 12 who are watching this huge 
crowd leave in disgust. Remember, it's all about the numbers. Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Speaking of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. It's all about the numbers, right? Really, that doesn't even bear out in Jesus' own ministry. Jesus had the crowd, man. He could have started the world's first multi-tens of thousands of you know megachurch. They were right there. They were right there. And by preaching the hard truth, he drove them off. It's all about the numbers, though, right? By the way, it gets worse for Jesus because when he's finally crucified, even the 12, oh, actually the 11, because Judas betrayed him, the remaining 11, I think only one of them, John, had the guts to stand before him on the cross. It got really lonely for Jesus really quick. We continue. Numbers Numbers always matter. We are all about the numbers. Number 15, we eat the fish and spit out the bones. I got to share the story. We were up at the Boundary Waters about, I don't know, a couple months ago, and we caught a bunch of northern. Anybody ever fish northern? You know, like if you try and fillet them, man, it's a disaster. They got like 28 backbones or something. We fillet off some good. You can get some good fillets off there. So we cut some fillets off and kind of threw the carcasses to the side. And there's this guy from, I don't know, I think he's from Alabama or something. Hey, now. Oh, Ooh, you better watch it. I mean, it's one of those. He's going to punch you in the face. With me. He, was, he, was, he was from down there. Give honor to the south, yeah. man. <laughs> I turn around, and he's like grilling up the backbone on this thing. I'm like, man, I, I got, there's nice fillets right here. But he starts eating the backbone. Like, like the, there's meat in there. And he just carefully just picking out the bones, picking out the bones. He said, dude, there's a ton of meat in here. He's eating the meat, spitting out the bones, and we do that as a church. We will take from anybody and everybody who's got a good idea or a creative this or or, or a different angle on that, we will take that meat and spit out the bones. The only thing we don't get rid of is Jesus, the cross, and the Bible. Everything else, fair game. Cool. Next one. We're going to occupy till he comes. Jesus said, okay, stop. <clears throat> okay, pay close attention here. This is more proof that this man is not a prophet, even though he doesn't, quote, claim to be a prophet officially. He claims to have received a direct vision from God, which does make him a prophet. And this also proves his inability and disqualification for being a pastor because he's not rightly handling God's word. Yeah, pay close attention to this one because this is a supreme example of a complete Bible twist. Let me back it up just a smidge. Here we go. Next one. We're going to occupy till he comes. Listen, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 19, verse, verse 12. You know what this means? Jesus said, I want you to occupy till I... What, what can you occupy? Okay. Only- <clears throat> Out of context, he's not telling you anything about this passage. Apparently, Jesus said to occupy until he comes. Hmm. And he said, Luke chapter 19, verse 12. It's actually 13, but... Um, 
Yeah, if you have your Bible, flip on over to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Let me show you the verse that he's um, that he's mangling at this point. In fact, I'm going to have to use a different translation in order to uh, get it to say what he's making it say. But when I put it into a, a good modern translation, you'll understand exactly what's going on and, and how he's twisting God's word, because that's exactly what's going on. So um, the, let me read it from the... King James here for a second. Here's what it says. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his 10 servants and he delivered them 10 pounds. And he said unto them, occupy until I come. Now, even in the King James, you'll notice what's going on here. Jesus is speaking in a parable. Okay. Now, what he, what um, <clears throat> Eric here is basically, Jesus said, occupy until I come. Jesus did not tell us to, quote, occupy until he comes. It's a weird way of putting it, it, it don't you think? But uh, if you, it, let's, let's take a look at it from a good modern English translation. <clears throat> I read again, verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then to return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, and he said to them, Engage in business until I come. And his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. By the way, the Greek word there for occupy in the King James, which is translated far better in the the ESV, is pragmateomai. It means to do business, to do trade, okay? So what he's doing here, uh, apparently part of their code that they receive from God, part of their code that God is blessing them because they're obeying it, part of their code tells says that they're to, quote, occupy within that, without any concept whatsoever of how the word occupy was used in, you know, in a, well, King James English, and what that really means in the Greek text, it doesn't say any of that. And he, what he's trying to do is take a, something, a statement that Jesus said in a parable and apply it literally without even giving us an interpretation of what Jesus was trying to get at in that verse. So this is more proof that Eric Dykstra is a false prophet who's sinning here by mangling God's word. Here we go again. Listen. We're going to occupy till he comes. Listen, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 19, verse, verse 12. You know what this means? Jesus said, I want you to occupy. Tell it. What, what can you occupy? Only two things, time and space. Time and space. So we're going to occupy new times and new space as a church every year the church exists. This is a total Bible twist and shows that he does not rightly handle God's word. We're starting an 830 service on Sunday morning as of September 12th. Yeah, occupy- see, see, yeah, right. Having an 830 service in the morning is occupying that. Oh, man. Occupying new times. I'm going to preach six times every single weekend. Why? Because Jesus said, occupy more till I come. So I'm going to preach six times every weekend. We're going to occupy new spaces, launching this campus in a bar in Big Lake in a couple weeks. Why? 
Jesus said, occupy till he comes. The year after that, we're going to launch a campus probably, probably by February, March. We're hoping to launch a campus in Anoka, Ramsey. And we're launching a campus in Buffalo. We're going to keep occupying new times and new spaces every year the church exists. That's what we are all about. We're going to reach people by invading new cities. We're going to take over the world. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor Chris said it a couple weeks ago. No, you won't. Actually, no, you won't. You can sit there and talk about all your vision and everything. You're a false prophet. You're not taking over the world, sir. He wants to launch 200 campuses of the crossing in 20 years. That's our goal. Remember what I said a second ago. We take big steps so God shows up in big ways. That's right. That brings us to number 17, the 222 principle. Basically says that every Jesus follower needs to teach what they know to somebody else. That is how our church is going to grow. We call this apprenticeship. You hear this all the time. Get an apprentice, get an apprentice, get an apprentice. See, on my own, I can't do that much. But if I take what I know and I teach it to somebody else, like say Tom, and then he takes what I taught him and he teaches it to Eric, and then he takes what Tom taught him, this is getting complicated now, and teaches it to Kelly, then all of a sudden we got four times as many people doing what I was doing. We're reaching four times as many people for Jesus. Absolutely. It's about apprenticeship, guys. We do this so that our church will grow so that more people will know Jesus. It's that simple. We're depopulating hell. We're growing our influence. Now, basically, this is not a new concept. Paul's apprentice was Timothy. Jesus had a few apprentices, too. You might have heard of them. They're called the disciples. There was 12 of them. (laughs) They changed the world, though. Seriously, 12 dudes changed the world. We are a direct result of what those guys did 2,000 years ago. We are like in a lineage of apprenticeship, and I think that's pretty cool. And so we're just carrying on something that's biblical and teaching others what we know. If we didn't do apprenticeship, seriously, we'd have to chop me up in little pieces and send me all over the place, and that wouldn't work very well. Yeah, I don't want to die. It's not, that's not a good idea. <laughs> there's no way we're going to do 200 campuses with like six guys. It's not happening. So apprenticeship is what moves us forward and moves the ball for Christ down the field. Last one. We will not take this for granted. We will not take this for granted. So you've got to know something. Being the most surprised person who ever walks in the door of this church, I, I, I walk in here and go, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe the hand of God on, on this church. I'm not going to take that for granted. I'm going to defend that. Like the reason why God's hand has been on us is because we have held to this code so well for so many years. We're going to keep. So apparently, I mean, this code is synonymous with the word of God and being and they're being blessed because they're being obedient to the code. Weird, weird, weird. Holding on to that code. Why? So that God continues to bless us and grow us and more lives get changed. This is what the crossing is all about. It's not about Eric Dykstra and it's not about Kelly Dykstra. It's about Jesus. If there's ever a moment where we suddenly like, yeah, it really is all about Eric. Dude, then go to a different church because Eric just jacked the whole thing up. We, we are about the honor of Christ. The honor of Christ's name, Christ's glory, Christ's fame. That's all we are about. We're not going to take that for granted. And as long as we don't take that for granted, God will keep his hand of favor on this place. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. Because, I mean, if really this is all about the honor of Christ, then how is it that a a church poster called Church in the Buff, how does that honor Christ? Or your wife on television saying, holy shift. 
How does that honor Christ again? Or when you twist the Bible or when you sing gently swing sings the donkey and uh, you you fail to actually preach Christ at all. How does that glorify Jesus again? I mean, you, you talk a good game. I mean, here you tell tells us all about glorifying Christ, but then when it when it comes game time, you don't. You dishonor him. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Which leads me to one last thought. One last thought and question. And I, can you guys just give these guys a round of applause for hanging out out here? <laughs> we knew that for 50 minutes we were going to talk to you about what we just talked to you about, about what the crossing is all about. But there's, a, there, there's, there's one piece that we have not covered yet. I got to ask the question. Are you on the bus or are you off? Are you on the bus or are you off? See, if, if you're not a Jesus follower, all I'm asking for you to do is kick the tires as long as it takes. If you need to be here for three more years, and there's been many people who are not sure what they think about God for like three years who've sat in our services before they finally decided, you don't have to serve, you don't have to give, we don't want your money, we won't give your heart to Jesus. You may sit as long as it takes. On the other hand, if there's a moment where you walked across that line of... Yeah, you don't even need to, I mean, seriously, if you're still kicking the tires, he'll make you a pastor. If you're you're not even a Christian, he'll make you a pastor. Weird, isn't that? I mean, that's what... uh... Jeremy said, if there's a moment where you walked across that line of faith, you bowed a knee and said yes to Christ, then God wants you hooked up with his church. I'm going to give you a verse. This verse right here. Ephesians 5 verse 23. Christ is in charge of his body, the church. Jesus' body, the church. Which means you can't say, oh, I love Jesus, but I hate his church. You just said, that's like looking at your girlfriend saying, I love you, but I hate your body. That's not a good idea. Don't say that. Not a smart move. You can't love Jesus and not love his church, which means you got to be hooked up with the body of Christ. Which one are you going to choose? You're going to get on the bus with here or you're going to get on the bus someplace else. If you, if this one isn't your gig, if you can't abide by that kind of a code, come see me. I'll help you find a different one. But for those of you who go, dang, I am all about what they just talked about. You know what you need to do? You need to become a partner. We are canning the word membership at the crossing. It does not exist anymore. There are no members at the crossing. There is only partners. Partners are people who get the mission, the vision, the values, and they are all about living those out in the world to reach more people who are far from God. So we're going to give you an opportunity this weekend to become a partner. In, in, in a second, actually, what, don't we have those under the, are, are they under the rows? Underneath the, these, this row right here and this row right here, there's a, there's a packet. Underneath, underneath your seats along this side too, just pick those, those sheets up and pass one down the aisle. We're going to give you an opportunity to no longer be just somebody who sits at the crossing in a service, but you can become a partner at the crossing. Literally, this is the old school word for membership, but we're not members here. This is what it means to be a partner at the crossing. First of all, we're just going to walk through this sheet real quick. It just says this, I have asked Jesus Christ to, forgive, to be my forgiver and leader and have followed him in baptism. I was baptized on. You can make a little mark. Or you need to get baptized and we'll get you dunked in a couple weeks. Being in agreement with the church's purpose, mission, vision, values, I now commit to love the family of God at the Crossing Church. In making this commitment, I agree before God and other partners to do the following. First, by the way, these are all G's. There's six G's. Grace. I will be a person of grace at my church by acting in love towards other people, by refusing to gossip, and by warmly welcoming those who visit exactly as they are. I'm going to be a person of grace. I'm going to commit to that G. Second one, I will seek growth in my church. Refusing to gossip means don't challenge, don't question Eric Dykstra and the vision he received directly from God because he's a prophet, man. 
church by inviting my unchurched friends and family to attend. A bunch of you make commitments. September 11th and 12th, you're going to bring in people who are far from God to hear God's message of hope and love and help. You got a couple weeks. We're like three weeks out from you bringing somebody to those services. We're looking for 3,000 people that weekend. Crossing church. Three locations. It's going to happen. You're going to invite somebody. You're going to make worship attendance a priority. And it's not going to come when, you, when it's optional, but you're going to come because you know it's a good idea. I, I serve Christ. I'm going to come show up at a service. And by taking the next step and training myself to be godly. This is about growth. Notice you're responsible to grow your own faith. I am not responsible to grow you. It is not my responsibility to make you grow up to be like Jesus. It is your Let me play that again. Notice, you're responsible to grow your own faith. I am not responsible to grow you. It is not my responsibility to make you grow up to be like Jesus. It is your... Don't expect me to feed you. Don't expect me to preach the word of God to you in context. No, no, no. I got more important things to do than that. Don't be coming to me to help... Yeah, no, boy. It's your responsibility to grow up and be like Jesus. Own your own faith. I choose to own my own faith. That's what you're committing to. Third, I will develop friendships in my church by joining a group. So we got grace. Growth and then groups. I'm going to go to a small group or to a seller class when they start this fall. One or the other. I'm going to go and learn some stuff or I'm going to go to a small group and connect and learn some stuff so that I can live out my faith better. Number four, I'm going to use my gifts and I'm going to serve someplace in my church. I'm not going to just sit, but I'm going to serve someplace to help us reach more people who are far from God. Number five, I'm going to give regularly and support the mission of my church. You're not a Christian? I don't want your money. But if you said yes to God, I'm looking for you to say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to follow God with my tithes. I'm going to follow God with my tithes. I'm going to give my 10% and serve the church. Exactly what the staff do. And then lastly, um, you're going to get behind the leadership of the church. There's our last G, get behind leadership. I get what the leadership is about. I get this whole concept, and I'm willing to obey my leadership. And do whatever it takes to depopulate hell. I'm giving you an opportunity right now to become a partner at the crossing. Some of you are going, why would I want to do this? Why, what, what do I get out of this? You know what you get? A personal coach. You're going to get a personal coach who's going to look you in the face and say, you know what? You're not living like Jesus. We're going to, we're going to change this. I'm going to push you and encourage you. Pastors are going to push you and encourage you. But I promise you, you stay in a tender. We're not going to push you at all. Why? You're an attender. I don't know. We, you're, you just attend. I don't got you, your faith is up to you and it's you, like you're, you kind of, kind of float along, but there's nobody going to help you. I would just ask, how much are you going to look like Jesus without a coach? This is like a bad infomercial. Not very well. I don't see very many people who get fit on their own. I, I, I yet to see anybody who's really good at getting fit all by themselves. Most people need running partners. They need coaches. And then they suddenly, oh, they get fit, trim, and buff like me. <laughs> and what we are offering is that chance. That's what membership is about. We're going to push you to be like Jesus. The rest of you, you say, no, 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 I'm not going to be a partner here. Cool. You can sit as long as you want. You can attend as long as you want. Don't, don't, don't be a partner. Just chill. Just sit. But in sitting, you've got to think this through. Is that really honoring Jesus? If you're not following Christ yet, man, sit as long as it takes. But if you are a Christian, man, I would, I would think that through. And then lastly, maybe you look at all this and go, this is not what I am about. Good. If this is not you, it's okay to go someplace else. We are not the Hotel California where you can check in and you can never leave. That is not us. 
But you're like, dude, peace. It's okay. Go someplace else. Live out faith someplace else. Pick a mission, vision, values that work for you, but join the body of Christ. Because you can't just love Jesus. Let me let me back that up. Hear this again. Like, dude, peace. It's okay. Go someplace else. Live out faith someplace else. Pick a mission, vision, values that work for you, but join the body of Christ. Because you can't. Yeah, pick a mission. I mean, seriously, where does the Bible talk about, you know, going out and picking a mission, vision, values or whatever that work for you? The Bible says nothing of the sort. This leadership model is not taught in the Bible. This is Drucker's corporate uh, corporation model foisted on the church and then imbued with some kind of prophetic thing. I just love Jesus. You also have to love his body. Do you love your church? For those of you that would like to love your church, I'm asking you to fill this sheet out. I want you to sign it. Even if you've already signed one before. Even if I don't care if you've signed one of these before. We're starting over from scratch this weekend. Sign one of those sheets, and I want you to drop it in the offering bucket in a second when it goes by. I want you to keep the secondary sheet. Why do I want you to keep this? So I want you to know what you actually vowed to God when you signed on the dotted line. You want to keep this so you remember, this is what I committed to Christ my Savior. I'm going to live this out. Put it on your fridge, stick it on your bathroom mirror. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be about grace, growth, groups, gifts, giving, and get behind my leadership. We're going to ask you to fill it out. And what we're going to do is we're going to watch people start partnering with this church. If you don't have a place to serve, we'll hook you up. People start calling through these. Our staff's going to start calling through these sheets next week. And we're going to help you live out your faith. So that's the deal. There's a bus. It's the crossing bus. Are you on or off the bus? Will you love your church? Watch out for that bus because it's been mowing people off the road and killing people out there in Elk River, Minnesota. This guy definitely has crossed the line. He thinks he's a prophet, and you cannot challenge him because to challenge him is to challenge God. I think that crosses the line into a cult leader. And the funny thing is is that this is exactly what the seeker-driven leadership model teaches these guys to do. Eric Dykstra is not an isolated incident. This is the same thinking that animates Perry Noble, Stephen Furtick, Ed Young Jr., Rick Warren, and a whole host of others. They think they've received a direct vision from God and that your job is to get behind their vision. And if you don't want to do this, then get off their bus. This is not, not the pastoral office as laid out in Scripture. This is something completely different. And just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio, and we truly do depend upon you and your generous gifts in order to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you and to the world. You can partner with us, and I'm sorry for using that word after this thing that we just listened to, but in reality, your financial dollars do partner with us. Fighting for the Faith is not a church. This is a radio outreach, and we truly do need your financial support to keep doing what we're doing. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Pick one, fill it out. 
And thank you, thank you, thank you for your support, especially during the lean summer months. So what'd you think? I really, really want to hear your feedback after hearing this edition of Fighting for the Faith. You can email me, my email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.